Welcome to Let's Talk About Life, a podcast brought to you by LifeBank, the organ, eye, and tissue recovery agency in Northeast Ohio. Donation can be a complicated subject, but it is really all about life. So spend a few minutes as we unravel the complexities of donation. So come on, let's talk about life. We share a lot of stories of organ recipients on this podcast. Individuals receiving kidney, liver, and heart transplants and how it impacts their lives. But it is a bit of a special occasion when we are able to share the story of a lung transplant recipient. Currently in the U.S., there are less than 1,100 people waiting for a lung transplant. And we saw about 2,500 lung transplants performed last year. To me, lung transplantation is still a medical miracle because to recover a set of donor lungs, prepare them for transport, and then transplant is a very fragile process. In addition, medical professionals have a short window of time between recovery of the lungs and transplanting them to keep the lungs viable. It truly is a race against time to get these precious gifts to the waiting recipients. Hi, you're listening to episode 98 of Let's Talk About Life. I'm your host, Colleen Gerber, kidney recipient and LifeBank staff member. We have two individuals on this episode to discuss the life-saving gift of lung transplantation. Jacqueline Weiler will be sharing her story of being born with cystic fibrosis and living her life with the disease, and then becoming a recipient. Also joining us is an expert from the Cleveland Clinic, Scott Flushinger, who is the Lung Transplant Clinical Manager to discuss lung transplants and their dramatic impact on saving lives. I thank you both for your time, and let's begin with Jacqueline. Jacqueline Weiler is here to share her story of being born with cystic fibrosis and living her life with the disease and then becoming a lung transplant recipient. Jacqueline, thanks for talking with me. So as I mentioned, you were born with CF and you've dealt with it your entire life. Can you describe how it impacted you and your family growing up? First off, I'm really happy to be doing this podcast. So Thanks for reaching out to me. I have a an older brother without cystic fibrosis and an older sister with cystic fibrosis. So it, it was very interesting growing up and it made for a chaotic type of thing. But our house was filled with a lot of love and camaraderie and teamwork. I was bullied a lot, a lot in especially middle school for this. I was able to grab a hold of it finally in high school and make it work to my benefit, which means that I started presenting cystic fibrosis as instead of an enemy, a thing that I just have to live with. And I started educating people about it. And so I would sit people down and talk about it. They would be surprised like oh this isn't as weird as we thought it's something that people really have to deal with and maybe we should think before 
we make a joke about how you look. You know, when I was when I was little, I was in the hospital frequently during the school year. I almost didn't graduate high school. Um, I didn't see college for a long time. So it was very difficult. It really put a strain on my relationship with other people as far as like, oh, do you want to go out tonight and see a movie? No, I can't because I'm in the hospital or I can't go to the prom because I'm in the hospital and you know. Yeah. For people that have a chronic condition, I think you're almost living two lives. So you're spending a ton of time in the hospital where everybody gets it and it's accepted without hesitation. And then there's the outside world that really don't have a clue of what you're going through. So that must have been really tough growing up. Yeah. And it was tough seeing my sister go through it Because even though our experiences were very different, I had to watch her suffer. There were times where I just wanted to do it for her if I could. And my brother especially, he has told me that he has a lot of survivor's guilt where he wishes he could do it for us, but he can't. And so with him being healthy, he can only stand on the sidelines with my parents and watch and pray that everything would be okay. But Kevin and Colleen and my parents are some of the greatest people that I probably have ever had the privilege of meeting. Mm -hmm. And I I really got to give them major, major love for being my support system for 29 years. Yeah, what a support system. That's amazing. You and your sister were patient at Rainbow's Babies and Children's. for many years. And then Mm -hmm. you were older. I thought it was fascinating that Rainbow's Babies and Children worked with the transplant folks at the Cleveland Clinic to get you listed for transplant. Um, Yeah. It must have been difficult for you to move over to an entirely new care team. What was your experience like at the clinic once you transferred your care there? Well, first off, let me say both health systems are probably the best in the country, if not the best. I was at Rainbow when I first started the process. So I would go to the Cleveland Clinic frequently to get testing for transplant. A lot of procedures were done at Rainbow for transplant. So the Cleveland Clinic and Rainbow really came together when it counted. And it was, it was really cool to see. And there was a great line of communication and it was, it was really awesome. It's a great example of both institutions putting patients health first. Yeah. How old were you when you were listed finally for a lung transplant? Uh, I was 22 when we first started the process, then 23 when I got listed I was very sick, deathly sick, when I got the call. I almost did not live. I was in Rainbow after Christmas, and I developed a fever. I was dehydrated. My kidneys almost failed. They put me in ICU, and my mom walked in one day and saw me in the ICU and said to my dad, let's call Pastor John, and says this to this day, 
She's like, I don't remember what he said, but he prayed so powerful that when we walked back in, you weren't better, but you were pretty darn close to being better. And you just got better every day. Wow. So, so you had yeah, some so, uh, extra help there, huh? Yeah. It, I did not do it alone. I had Dr. Stern, Dr. McBennett, and Dr. Constan, along with all the ICU team, and especially Dr. Bedev at the Cleveland Clinic, who worked with Dr. McBennett, and she left us a very sweet voicemail and said, I know you're worried about Jackie. We're going to get her to the Cleveland Clinic as soon as possible, and we're going to keep her under our nose so that when the lungs come in, we're ready to go. You know, because once you're listed, you just have to be ready. And when did you get the call? January 22nd. So my friend Katie, who I have known for a long time, she and I watched a movie, and I fell asleep during it. And she said that she stood in the doorway and looked at me because she said that she didn't know if she was going to see me again. I hate thinking about this, but it's it's, it's the reality of your situation, right? It is. And it's a harsh reality. And I, I don't like, you know, reality is hard enough, but when it's like this, it's like, Oh my God. So my mom, my dad, and my sister, and my brother all stayed in the Cleveland Clinic Hotel. We don't live far from the Cleveland Clinic, but they wanted to be right where I was. And it's around midnight. I'm watching the Golden Girls with my mom. And there's this nurse who's like, she's changing my meds, you know, talking to us. And then the second nurse rushes us. The phone rang, and she's like, you need to take this call. She hands the phone, and they go, Jacqueline Weiner and I go, yeah, this is she. And they go, we have organs for you. So I already can't breathe. But at this point, I'm like hyperventilating. I'm like, it's the call. So I hand the phone to my mom and she gets up and she's like, yeah, we want them. And they didn't tell her a lot. All they said was the lungs are in perfect condition. There was no trauma. The donor is young. She hangs up and she goes, you're getting a lung transplant tonight. And I lost it. I, I literally could not tell you how hard I cried. I was sobbing, sobbing, just lost it. It was, it was a very emotional roller coaster. And my mom's like, we, we got to call dad. We got to call Colleen. We got to call Kevin. So I said, I want to tell Colleen. And I called Colleen and I, and we both cried on the phone. We were both like sobbing to each other. She's like, you're getting new lungs. I'm like, I'm getting new lungs. And she's like, are you excited? I'm like, no, I'm petrified. Did Colleen ever get a transplant? Yeah, she did. She got her transplant about, I think, two or three years after me. Oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. Continue. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody kind of gathered in the ICU waiting area. There were a lot of people. And um, I was so out of it that by that point that I, 
I couldn't even tell you what I was feeling because I, I don't remember a lot of this. And you're breathing at that time? You were on oxygen? I was on 14 liters of oxygen. Wow. And wow. I think I was on a BiPAP machine. The BiPAP got the CO2 out of my lungs and they said saved my life. Wow. So not only did my donor save my life, but the machine saved my life. So. Yeah, I think that's the most challenging part is keeping people on the waiting list alive long enough till an organ is available for transplant. Yeah. Joining the conversation now is Scott Flershinger, the Lung Transplant Clinical Manager for the Cleveland Clinic. Scott, thanks for taking time out of your busy day to talk with me. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. You work with individuals much like Jackie who are either on the waiting list for a set of lungs or they have had their lung transplant and are lung transplant recipients. It must be pretty impressive to see the difference before the transplant and after. What's that like for you to see on a daily basis? It's an incredible experience to meet a patient who was told they have an end of life lung function, or, or maybe haven't even had a palliative care discussion, but have been referred to our clinic um, and, and can go through a very robust evaluation, and as a result of that evaluation, ultimately deemed uh, a candidate. And to see that opportunity, that hope for somebody, that's one phase. And then to go the full journey uh, and to get them to their transplant and to see them live their life to the fullest. They, they have this new quality of life after transplant. You get to appreciate the gift in a full spectrum. And I think that is something that is it's difficult to put into words, but it's something that you can easily appreciate every single day coming to work. Uh, and, and my team, certainly uh, myself, we feel that every day. Jackie mentioned she was on 14 liters of oxygen right before her transplant. And you know, in my head, just dragging around that tank of oxygen really puts a limit on your lifestyle. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, the, the patients come to us and it's a quality of life decision. And, and what transplant offers them is an extra shot, some extra time to appreciate the loved ones they have and to really have this, this quality of life that they haven't experienced in a long time. To see somebody, like you referenced Jackie, 14 liters when we first meet her and to come in uh, as a post-transplant patient on room air and getting to enjoy life as a, as a recipient, it's, it's incredible. And, and that's, why, that's why we're here and that's what we do it for. And that's exactly why LifeBank is so dedicated to our mission, too. It's giving those people a second chance to see those milestones that so many of us get to enjoy. I mentioned earlier that lungs are probably the most fragile organ in terms of recovering for transplant. Can you explain a little bit why that is? Absolutely. The procurement process, it's a very narrow window uh, of time and, you know, about four to six hours in a traditional transplant. So from the time that the, the procurement team gets there and actually gets to visualize the, the donor lungs, get them safely packed um, and, and ready for transplant and back to the, the transplant center, that clock is ticking and it's ticking quickly. 
Um, so a lot of efforts go into uh, before even bars are set, a lot of logistics, how far we can travel, things of that nature. We want to have a really wide net, uh, offer a lot of opportunity for our recipients, um, but we need to make sure that we're doing it in a way that we can do it safely and we can ensure that the lung function is preserved when we obviously go to transplant. So a straight transplant, yeah, that is a very tight window. Um, you know, one thing that is, is very up and coming, especially in um, lung transplant, we are uh, leaders in it here at Cleveland Clinic, is ex vivo. Um, and that provides us a, a buffer uh, and, and can provide um, more opportunities for transplant for patients. So I was just going to bring that up. I remember in 2007, I believe, the Cleveland Clinic set the record for the most lung transplant in history in one year. So that was then. And now we have seen a lot of improvements specifically for preserving the lungs and getting them ready for that transportation to the transplant center. Can you speak about the ex vivo technology or what are known as lungs in a box? Yeah, exactly that. The Cleveland Clinic's innovative and we're leaders in this and we're partnering with OPOs. And, and the whole goal is exactly that. We want to generate as much opportunity for these patients to have this gift of transplant. So traditionally, we spoke to a little bit earlier, you know, a lung is procured, it's placed on ice, and it's um, then transported to the transplanting hospital. What ex vivo allows to do is it is external perfusion. And so what we'll do is it's a machine and we'll put those um, lungs on the machine. And what it does is it causes uh, warm blood flow. And we're going to pump blood products through those lungs. And it's called normal thermic perfusion. But basically, it's just a fancy word of good, warm um, blood flow. We're kind of getting those lungs warmed back up from coming off of ice. And it's significant because it reduces what's called cold ischemic time. And that's the amount of time in which the organs preserved without blood flow. And the less cold ischemic time uh, has been correlated with better organ function. It's not just that. It prolongs that window, that four to six hour window. We can maximize this upwards to 12 to 18 hours. So here in Ohio, you can explore potential donors in states that we never thought about before. And it, it provides more opportunity for our patients. Not only that, while the lung is on the machine, it's being perfused. Our transplant experts, our surgeons, they can get a better assessment on the quality of these lungs. And really what that is, is we're saying that we are committing to transplant and we are giving you the best possible organ function. And if it's not, if we can deem it then too and, and make sure that we're doing what's safest for our patients. So some things they can do is they'll put it on the ventilator. They'll see how they respond to certain vent settings and oxygenation. They can do an intervention called a bronch, which basically is just a microscope and has a little camera on it. And they go through and they look at those lungs directly uh, and get good visualization. But it's an incredible innovation. And like I said, we've led here at the Cleveland Clinic with this. And it's, we've been very successful. That's awesome. Jacqueline, you had the transplant and obviously it was yeah. successful. When do you remember feeling like, oh my gosh, I can breathe? You know, I I was thinking about this today, and I don't remember the exact moment, but I will tell you about what I felt when I woke up. I saw my parents, and I saw my sister and my brother and their spouses, and I saw the doctor, and my mom goes, Jackie, do you remember what happened? I shook my head no. And she goes, 
you had a successful double lung transplant. And I just lost it again. My mom went over to hug me and everybody in the room was crying. And I remember getting a tracheotomy, an emergency trach. And when they sucked the mucus out of the trach, it was the most magical feeling in the world because it was like they were sucking CF out of my body. Wow. And they, they gave me the trach because I was producing stuff, but I wasn't coughing it out yeah. and it was stuck. They would, they would do bronx and it was stuck in my lungs. Eeks. So Jackie, when okay. was your transplant? January 23rd, 2017. So how are you feeling now? Well, you know, it, it took a good two or three years to feel okay, but I, I feel pretty great. That first year is rocky, trying to get meds. Um, oh, it's very rocky. Yeah, trying to get meds aligned mm-hmm. and, you know, getting used to these new mm-hmm. organs. Is there anything that you've done since your lung transplant? that you're super excited about or or proud that you achieved it? Um, I became a 911 operator. I did that during the pandemic. So I, I was really excited about that. And I saw my siblings become parents. I saw one of my really good friends get married. I was able to hold my niece and nephew for the first time. Well, now two nieces. Like I was telling you earlier, I was unable to do Catalysty with Cleveland Performing Arts Ministry. So, Well, it's awesome that you sing. I mean, we all know that singing takes a lot of breath, and that's amazing. Well, I'm I'm not very good, so I'm not going to want a Grammy anytime. Well, so, that's okay. But, <laughs> Just being up on stage and being able to share that gift with others is amazing. That's amazing to me. Well, well thank you. It was one of the greatest things I've ever done. So I love that. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit. You mentioned that when you received the call, we're told that your donor was a young man. Do you know anything Mm -hmm. more about him or have you been in touch with his family? I got a letter from his mother about six months after the transplant. And it was a general letter to everyone who received his organs. And she, she kind of introduced John David as a 15-year-old who loved to ski, loved to sing, act, play piano, play violin, um, guitar. One thing that sticks out in my mind is his favorite song by the Foo Fighters is My Hero, which is ironic. Very. (laughs) He is my hero. And she and I exchanged letters. And Life Bank gave me her information because she requested it. And we decided to meet. She lives in another state. My parents and I traveled there and met her and her husband and one of her daughters. I'm going to start crying again. What a special experience. Um, It it gets even better. Uh, My mom brought a stethoscope and... 
John David's mom. She got to listen to uh, John David's songs. It was pretty great. But here she makes a horrible, devastating situation and makes a beautiful decision. It not only gives me a chance to breathe, but it allows me to do all these incredible things that I never thought I would do. Wow. I I can only imagine that what comfort that brought John's mom to know that his death helped so many people and saved your life and the lives of so many. Uh, You have to have a sense of pride in that. Yeah. And and she and I, I texted her actually this weekend to let her know about the Palestine. I sent her a clip of my part in the show. And it's really special to have a relationship with his mom and know that through such a traumatic thing that she made a choice for her son that he he saved not only my life, but he saved, I think, like five more lives. Wow. What a legacy. What a legacy. Yeah, absolutely. So while we're talking about that, what is your overall feeling about organ donation. I know as a recipient, you have a different point of view, but what would you say just about the topic in general? I would say it's incredible. It's a miracle. It's uh, straight out of God. It's really God's handiwork, I think. It's, it's very bittersweet. It's not easy. It's not easy to know that somebody died and gave at least seven or eight people life. But it's good to know who they are and honor that legacy. And I think that if you want to make a difference, but you don't exactly know how, register to be an organ donor. Because if you are able to be an organ donor, you can save up to eight lives. More than 75 through tissue donations. So it's, right. it's really is a gift. It really is a gift that helps so many. And it's, it's a game changer because now the mortality rate of CF has gone down. It's, it's not an easy thing no. for either side. But I would say, you know what? It's rewarding. So I say if you are on the brink of registering, but you want to know more, do research on the topic. It's okay to research this. It's okay to ask questions. It's absolutely fine. I say the more questions, the better. You're 100% correct, Jackie. And now I'm going to turn back to our expert from the Cleveland Clinic. Scott, you know, you have a fantastic job and you get to see the miracle transplant every day. What's your opinion about organ, tissue, and eye donation and transplantation? No, I think it goes without saying I'm a strong advocate um, because it truly is a gift. It's a miracle. And I think what it does, it creates purpose to a really poor outcome for a donor, right? It it gives that family uh, purpose and it just brings so much life after a tragedy. So I, I think that's the message I would always say and push. But I think if you're not an organ donor, please consider it 
And if you have questions, please reach out. You know, we can educate you and we want to help you make a decision that, that is, is helpful for everyone. It sure is. And, you know, we try to do that every day here at LifeBank. And I'm glad you mentioned reaching out. And if our listeners do have a question about lung transplantation or anything about organ donation, you can always email us at info at lifebanc.org. Thank you, Scott, for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I appreciate it greatly. Jacqueline, thank you for today and sharing your story. It is so inspiring, and I'm so glad you're doing well. Thanks so much. Oh, well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. And I hope that anybody who listens to this and wants to know more, my Instagram handle is CFR1234, so they can find me and ask anything they want. Aw, thank you. That's such a generous offer. All right. Thank you, Jacqueline. You take care. Thanks. You too. We hope you found today's episode informative and inspirational. You know, you can save lives simply by going to lifebanc.org and registering your donation decision. You can catch Let's Talk About Life on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, but you can always find it at lifebank.org. We thank you for listening and we hope you come back next time. And come on, let's talk about life. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk About Life. If you have questions about today's podcast, reach out to us at info at lifebank.org. Take a few minutes to do something heroic and register to be an organ donor by saying yes at lifebank.org. Literally, someone's life is depending on it.